Welcome everyone to Rock M Nation podcast, a top ten SB Nation podcast for uh, for SB Nation College. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. I'm your host Sam Snelling. Uh, with me, as always, uh, our good friend from the uh, Indiana Plains, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm well, sir. Uh, it's it's the greatest week of the year. Some people might say, oh, the NCAA first and second round is is the greatest week. No, it, it's this one. It's me. Championship week. It's me intentionally starting my day at 7 a.m. so I can be done by 4 so I can try and catch quarterfinals of mid-major tournaments and semifinals of mid-major tournaments. And on my TV right now, I am looking at uh, Gonzaga just absolutely scorching the earth of uh, USF right now. Uh, and that came on the heels of uh, Chattanooga delivering us a, a beautiful buzzer beater. So it's the best week of the year. Um, no matter how you feel about the team we, we podcast about, it is a national holiday. And if I were younger, I would have taken this week off from work to uh, soak it all in. So uh, it is season five, and this is episode 24 of, of Dive Cuts. Um, Matt, we've made it all the way through the regular season. And as this is a Missouri basketball podcast, uh, we are going to talk about Missouri basketball. Uh, the Fair Tigers split a, uh, their games last week. They went on the road and lost to South Carolina, um, came back home, fell down big early against Georgia. Um, the dogs were making pretty much everything uh, that they put up. The shots were falling for them, not for Missouri. And, uh, and things were looking a little scary there for a while, but, uh, but Missouri settled in. And as we know, like everybody in the SEC, the only team that is uh, statistically worse than Missouri is Georgia, and they are still by a lot. And so Missouri really didn't have that much difficulty coming back and taking the lead. <laughs> Um, so it was, it was an interesting week. Uh, I, I, I think it kind of went the way I thought it might. I mean, I didn't think they'd struggle as much as they did early with Georgia. I thought the game at South Carolina would be a little bit, uh, tighter. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, I guess what you might expect at this point, I, you know, like without without sort of, you know, killing this Missouri team any more than we maybe already have this year. And as we were kind of saying offline, I just like they're a, not an, an incredibly interesting team because they're just they're so limited in what they're able to do. And so if if one or two things isn't working, you, you kind of know how it's going to go. Yeah, I think I shared in our Slack channel earlier today that it's it's felt like kind of just a narrowing pathway here for this team, you know, where they've, they've now basically been reduced to offenses, hoping Javon Pickett can make something happen. Like, I think you're at the point where this personnel, this team, this system, you know, the, the, this entire blueprint has been so thoroughly um, disproven as viable that really, you know, you tune in and you sort of know what you're going to see every time now. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty predictable. Um, I don't know if people still enjoy watching it, but as an entity, like as you and I talk about, we, we love watching basketball. We love seeing sort of the diversity 
you know, they can come from each game, from different styles, from, you know, different approaches, but Missouri's, you know, pathway is so narrow here that realistically when you tune in and watch a game, you, you almost sort of go in, you can have a bingo card as to what's going to happen. They're going to make a, they're going to look good in the first five minutes. They'll go to the second or third rotation of subs. They'll give up a run. Then they'll have a really long stretch of offensive impotency. They may have a run in the second half, but if not, they're usually done by like the under four timeout in the first half. Like there's been such a rhythm to this team the last five, six, seven games down the stretch here that, you know, to see them rally on Saturday was obviously really good. Um, But Georgia is a sieve much more so than Missouri is. And Georgia is just as flaky as Missouri is. So I wasn't surprised to see that, but, you know, you tune in and, and you just sort of know what the script is going to be. And it feels like we're just watching the same kind of episode over and over again. And, and, you know, Saturday, the result was better, but, you know, the process itself was still really, really familiar for this group. And I'm not sure with um, a minimum of one game left, you know, how much we're going to see that change on Wednesday. Yeah. So I guess my, my memory was a little foggy. They, uh, they were a little closer in that South Carolina game. Um, but it certainly never like felt like they were playing well enough to uh, overtake the Gamecocks. And, and and South Carolina, give credit to Frank Martin, man. Um, Nothing stands in the way of that man what. at 500. Nothing. <laughs> it's it's really incredible. Like they, th- there's no reason that team uh, should have won. They they're nine and nine in, in conference play. They won four in a row at one point. Uh, coming into so they did beat UAB, which turned into a, a nice win. But but coming into conference play, that was their only top one hundred win. Um, and yet still finding a way to 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 get get to five hundred in league play, uh, eighteen and twelve overall. Um, yeah, like they just grind it out there. I mean they. And they may get good news in a couple of weeks is apparently Gigi Jackson, a five-star in 2023, uh, may have South Carolina as his leader right now. So Frank may Frank may get a five-star. <laughs> Who knows if he'll still be there in 2023, but he may get one in his 2023 class if uh, things keep up. But yeah, South Carolina, uh, credit to them. They, I think they, they're, they did this year, I think, what, you know, you want to see Missouri do. You know, they held serve. Um you know, they won at Vanderbilt, they held serve at home against Vandy, against Georgia. They picked up a road win at A&M. You know, they went to a struggling Georgia. So they swept Georgia. They swept Vandy. You know, they picked up, you know, a win at A&M. You know, they stole a win, you know, at Ole Miss. They got a stumbling LSU at home. They beat an inconsistent Mississippi State at home. They They did, you know, I think what a lot of people would want them to see Missouri do, which is, they won the games they were supposed to, and they picked off enough kind of toss-ups at the margin to get to nine and nine. And, th- you know, that's the method in this conference here. If you can beat the teams below you and flip a few results above you, you can get to eight or nine wins in this league. And that's what South Carolina did. You know, they got absolutely hammered by Tennessee. They got, you know, they got hammered at Mississippi State, got hammered again by Tennessee. They lost by 10 to Kentucky. Lost by 19 to Bama, lost by 11 to Auburn. Against the better teams, they got absolutely smacked around. But against teams that were behind them or somewhat in proximity, they did what they needed to do. 
and you know it's it's not pretty in how they do it um offensively it's it's brutal but they guard their asses off they force turnovers and and they make it work and you know credit to Frank Martin for making murder ball um another path to 500 and potentially another year of gainful employment and also uh potentially like one of my favorite uh post game quotes um, when he was talking about Weldon's Levesque. Uh, so anyone who, like, Weldon's Levesque is, is the South, I think he starts, right? So he's South Carolina's starting center. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's a big, not necessarily agile, nor would you say skilled, but he's big. Yeah. Um, and so... Williams is a guy who essentially like going against Jeremiah Tillman, like Tillman just ate him for lunch and like really <laughs> made him look pretty terrible. Um, so I'm trying to find his, yeah. So here, here's Frank Martin's post game quote. Uh, Michael Lanana, I guess is how you would say yeah. his name on Twitter. Uh, said he asked Frank Martin if Williams Lebeck was injured or if it was just a coach's decision to bench him today. And Martin said, watching him play has hurt my eyes. So you can say the injury is my eyesight. (laughs) (laughs) I just like, uh, he's like in a, in a, a man's lost his eyebrows and his hair, but he's not (laughs) lost his sense of humor. So, I just think like, you know, in a world of like so much coach speak, it's, it's nice to have somebody who's like so welcoming to, or to just basically say whatever's on his mind. And and I think like, that's the thing that I has always sort of attracted me to Frank Martin and, and sort of his personality and he just makes it fun. And, um, and that is a, a great quote. The it's injury fantastic. is to my eyesight. <laughs> but that was a game where, you know, it feels like the one thing we keep talking about in a weird way is, you know, possess- possessions are the most important commodity that you have. Yeah. You, know, you get, and Missouri bleeds out too many of them, you know, shot better. You know, if you looked at the underlying metrics in that game offensively, Missouri was better than South Carolina. They just coughed the ball up 15 times. And, you know, when the margins are that fine, you can't just give away six opportunities to score. You just can't do it. And, or they get, or they do a good job defending the initial shot and then give up a second possession on the offensive glass. Mm-hmm. Or they do a, or they get in a bind, maybe in rotation, and they foul someone and put them on the line for the most efficient touch above anything else is a free throw. And so it's just, even if Missouri plays semi competently offensively, this team at the end of the day just cannot seem to maximize or value opportunity. And that's, that, that's not hooky. That's the thing. They give up too many opportunities in a game to, to make it competitive. And, you know, South Carolina did not look great in that game either. They, they, they hurt my eyes. All of them did, <laughs> but South Carolina, you know, managed to do what it needed to do to maximize its possessions or to create additional opportunities to win a basketball game. It manufactured opportunities. Missouri didn't. And that's why South Carolina is nine and nine and why Missouri's not, you know, uh, it can be that reductive to me. And yeah, I mean, and realistically, I mean, the, the, the talent difference, um, 
from South Carolina, Missouri is not that great. I do think, I mean, it's nice having, you know, a four-star freshman. Sean Bryant. Um, Devin you know, Carter. Sean yeah. Bryant is, is an uh, otherworldly athlete. Um, but he also, he does some boneheaded things from time to time. Um, but he can go make a play for you. Yeah, but yeah, and he will absolutely put you in the rim uh, if given the opportunity. Um, you know, so what's interesting is is kind of going from that game where, you know, the the number of, you know, extra shots leaned heavily towards uh, South Carolina is, is in even despite having uh, a high higher turnover margin against Georgia, Missouri uh, just absolutely ate the Bulldogs up on the offensive glass yeah, on the glass. And and really for like three quarters of that game, they looked a lot more like I think the kind of team that we sort of thought that we were going to get, you know, this year as far as uh, you know defending and rebounding and uh, and doing all the things that you know like Martin uh, is is sort of known for, um, you know, because like this hasn't really been a very good um, offensive rebounding team uh, despite sort of. You know, Conzo having a, a a pass of having like some really good offensive rebounding. I mean, they, I mean, they they miss a lot of shots, uh, so you would think that they would, you know, and and they do generate a, a typically a higher number. But they uh, there's this whole thing with expected rebounds in Missouri is is often in that, that negative number. But they're seventy fourth in offensive rebound percentage. So I mean, if if you were to look at it that way, I think the bigger deal for me is that they just get absolutely annihilated on the defensive glass. They're 269 there. Um, you know, you look at games where they've been close, especially in the middle of the year. The difference was they just got absolutely beat to death inside on the glass. And, you know, if they're not turning the ball over, you know, to give away transition opportunities, they're giving up you know, second possessions. And the thing that stuck out to me is that they kept georgia from doing that they they beat georgia by eight on the offensive glass i think i'm looking here i think it was six or eight yeah they beat them by eight on the offensive glass and that matters because missouri coughed the ball up 14 times but you can essentially say they had zero lost net possessions georgia lost two of them like that matters the day missouri's you know fouled the crap out of georgia again but missouri shot the ball better from deep so the math all worked out, but the bigger deal is Missouri gave itself a chance to at least say level on possessions and to give it and, you know, executed better, shot the ball better than Georgia did at the rim and shot the ball better from deep, you know, after Georgia went nuts early on. So Missouri gave itself an opportunity and limited Georgia's and they may, and they maximized possessions. So to me, that that's been the story of the year here. And we can talk about personnel and systems they're running and stuff like that, but Defending, rebounding, valuing the ball. Those are things that, you know, I think good rosters, regardless of talent level, are able to do, and Missouri has struggled at times with that this year. And Matt, I don't know about you, but I, I uh, question Tom Crean's decision to um, put Jackson Etter on Kobe Brown. It didn't seem like maybe that was, was maybe Maybe he was hoping Jackson was going to pick up, like, five charges. <laughs> Like that's Jackson's thing is just getting in the way. Yeah. You know, maybe he was, maybe that's what the plan was. Jackson get in front of Kobe and fall down. Maybe. Yeah. I, 
It did, it it did not work out. I mean, Kobe was in some early foul trouble, but his second half was uh was good. It was good, Kobe. I think he was the the uh, leader for the trifecta. I have not pu- published study hall yet because um there's been a lot going on. Uh, <laughs> are, are the masses clamoring for this for that study hall? Yeah, yeah. I Do mean, they... I always like to write about it, but um I think it's it's also somewhat like cathartic for me and my process and going through it. I you know I th- there's enough people I think that still click on it. So I don't know. Well, you got to get it out tomorrow because there's. <laughs> the next game arrives Wednesday. Yeah. And... Oh, I, so as usual, we we're recording this on on Monday night. Um, Missouri will play in the opening round of the SEC tournament again. Hello, Wednesday, old friend. Yes. Uh, so, Study Hall will will be published on Tuesday. You also get this podcast in your ears on Tuesday, and then we have uh, another basketball game on Wednesday. Um, so they're gonna play. You know, because we have not played them enough over the years, uh, the Ole Miss Rebels. Ugh. Yeah, at least it's a six. At least it's a five p.m. tip. At least they. That was. I always dread it. I was. I didn't really know if the twelve and thirteen game was the was the nightcapper and was then going to put you in the nightcap the next day. But fortunately, they got the early one, and hopefully, they'll get the early. They'll get an afternoon tip on Thursday if they win. Um. Third, I mean, we've seen these two teams now. I mean, I think the Missouri's had good game plans for both of them. I think they've been able to execute and get shots they've wanted and run good offense, you know, out of their base stuff against Ole Miss. Um, and then Ole Miss manages to force turnovers. Missouri backs the, the tempo down, and it lets Ole Miss get a foothold in this game. So it'll be really curious what the third round of adjustments are here. Um, I'm curious if um, – Kermit makes the mistake in zones again. Um, hopefully he won't do that, but um, really just curious more if Ole Miss gets more physical with Missouri. Um, like I joke about the zone, but I almost kind of wonder if the one, three, one trap and just being doing more than token pressing might be the thing that, that Ole Miss wants to do here. I think that's the one thing that we've seen in the last couple of weeks is that, you know, Arkansas, Mississippi state, Tennessee, LSU, LSU's more full court trapping than playing in the half court, but just seeing opponents that I think have been more physical with Missouri, you know, not letting them get clean cuts, not letting them just sort of move freely and cleanly, you know, switching, staying in front of everything. I think that's sort of been the one thing that's happened here is teams that got a little bit, you know, kind of, I think, over aggressive with switches or didn't do it quite as well. Missouri could take advantage of them. But if you're physical with this team and you stay in front of them and you really, you know, force them into jumpers, you know, and I think what they've done too, and I'll come back to the jumper thing is they've done a really nice job taking away stuff at the elbow and the mid post and, and really sort of slowing down Missouri. Missouri's not getting into possessions now until like 16, 17 seconds left on shot clock. So Missouri's having to speed itself up. And I think that's leading to some of the, the unforced turnovers and stuff that you're seeing. Missouri's having to play a little bit faster because their primary action isn't getting them buckets. So they're having to play faster to get to secondary stuff. And then they get into late clock and that winds up being a jumper for them. So they're maybe only getting to the first action, the first counter, and then all of a sudden it's late clock and it's jumpers. So is Ole Miss going to borrow some of that and get a little bit more physical and really try and force Missouri to operate a little bit more under duress? Um, 
So I'm curious how they do that. So one of the common uh, sayings around, you know, particularly college basketball, is it's it's difficult for uh, one team to be another team three times in a row. And uh, clearly, Missouri has uh, the upper hand so far because they swept Ole Miss. Um, but what I kind of think is interesting about like that saying is it, it feels like it should be true. Um, but the data actually doesn't back that up, Matt. Um, over the last like seven or eight years, I think somebody had just uh, posted the, the tweet. I'm trying to just remember how far back it went. Uh, the average win percentage of, of teams in that third game was like 75%. Makes sense. I mean, if you swept twice, presumably it's because you're better. Than well, it's, right. And, and it's like, that's, that's sort of the thing is, is, and, and again, this isn't me necessarily saying that Missouri has a 75% chance to win. Uh, the odds just don't really add up for that. I think Ole Miss is probably going to be favored. Um, but you know, if you've beaten somebody twice, typically it's because you're better. Like you, you are playing them at your house, and then uh, on their floor, you go on the road, you beat them. You come back home, beat them again. I mean, like that's usually a sign that you're just a better team. Now, is Missouri a better team than uh, than Ole Miss? Mm. I mean, I don't think they're as talented. <laughs> uh, like. Ole Miss, I believe, has a pretty talented roster. I don't think Missouri has a guy like Matthew Morrell or or Dacian Ruffin. Um, is Ruffin even playing? Ruffin hasn't played the last few games. No, I think he's out for the year. Is he still hurt? Yeah, I think, and that's sort of been the story for Mississippi State. They've had really crappy injury luck at stretches this year. So, to me, the question is: Are they, are they going to be fully healthy and and have all their personnel ready to go and? You know, have they been able to reestablish some sort of rhythm as a group there? Because I think the you're right on paper they have a better roster than Missouri. Um, and I'm looking here. You know, Dacian Ruffin is is out. It hasn't you know, Robert Allen is 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 out. So they're not going to have two guys that I thought were going to be, you know, kind of you know, Ruffin I thought would have grown into a starter. Allen probably like a six man type of guy. Um, Jarkel Joiner's only played 21 games this year. Sammy Hunter's played 28 games. So they haven't had some key pieces of that rotation. Um, if you look at, I think in the last game they played was at Vanderbilt last weekend. Um, yeah, they were playing a, a what appears to be a walk on John McBride for three minutes in that game. Uh, started that game. Uh, so yeah, they they well, don't, that was probably a senior day kind of thing. Senior day kind of thing. Yeah, that's right there at home here. So they've got. Four starters that I would say are in, but they don't have Ruffin. They don't have Allen. Um, you know, Crowley played well in that game. So they just haven't, I think, had the full sort of complement of guys. And they're not going to have them this weekend. So uh, I think, or t- on Wednesday, I should say, I don't know why I'm saying weekend. I'm still stuck in the regular season format. But yeah, the, the roster situation there hasn't been great. If they're playing well, you know, if they were coming in playing well, I would feel differently. But they've lost four in a row. They seem like they're limping home at this point. So it, it'll be interesting to see where those teams are sort of, you know, where the mentality is <laughs> on a Wednesday in, in Tampa and, and just sort of what and how gigged up Ole Miss is, is for that affair or not, or are they just done with uh, what's been a pretty bumpy season for them? Well, and I, I think that's like a fair uh, sort of question for like, for both teams really. Um, and I think that's always sort of the risk. Anytime you get into uh, those Wednesday games is, 
is who's really invested and in still like playing on this season. Um, you know, like Ole Miss has had to deal with a lot of stuff, and granted, like Missouri, Missouri hasn't had. The only time I've ever thought that Missouri hasn't looked like they were engaged in a game was the Arkansas blowout. I think generally they've looked like a team. Have they executed well? Have they done everything you want them to do? No, but I I don't watch them and think this team has has mailed it in on the season. Whereas I I do wonder about (laughs) Ole Miss a little bit there. Um, The margins have gotten a little bit wide. Recently they've had some injury stuff. So Maybe I feel a little bit more inclined to think Ole Miss, but I, probably just because we watch Missouri obviously more than we watch Ole Miss. But um, I, I still think Missouri's head is still very much, you know, in the season, and they still care. It'll just be interesting to see what that looks like and not, and how Ole Miss is able to sort of adjust, you know, on Wednesday and what that looks like. Well, and yeah, and and in both, uh, really, in in both games. Missouri has had sort of you know big leads against Ole Miss, and so you you have to wonder like if that happens a third time, it's like you know ten minutes to go in the game and Missouri's up you know fifteen or something. It's it's different now than than the previous two games. Is like okay, the previous two games it's like all right, like Ole Miss is still trying to play for something, um, you know, and and they're their first game, like you're, you're still kind of jockeying for position. You still kind of think you, you've got a shot to be, you know, decent this year. Uh, second game, I think sort of cemented home probably for them that it wasn't going to be a, a, a fun year. Um, you know, but, but you're still basically trying to like avoid being in the basement and, uh, you know, and, and I guess, for Missouri, it, it, I think part of it is what, one of the things that you've said is they have still been engaged. Um, you know, they, they tend to play pretty hard. They don't often play very well. Um, and I think, like, to some degree, like, you have to give kind of credit to the, the guys and the coaches who are always kind of being ready and coming out with a good plan. And, and, and they, they execute. They're just not very good. So. I don't know what to expect. Um, they get LSU. The winner gets LSU. And given what we saw from Missouri in that first meeting, I, I, I my optimism was already low, but it would be especially low uh, for that one. Uh, so they're just it's it's so it's so tough for you know a team that's as anemic as Missouri is and on offense to like to face these like really elite defenses. Um, you know, and 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 sort of come out of it. Like I, you know, I think that especially one that where uh, ball pressure and turnovers is the yeah. is the primary um, choice. And of, you're 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 also having to like turn around so fast. Yeah, it's a quick turnaround time there. You know, quick so, turnaround in a short in a short bench. Yeah, yeah, and that that bench got eaten into a little bit uh, down in Baton Rouge. So it. I think the real question is, you know, LSU though has looked at stretches where they've been pretty, they get boggy offensively. You, you get, you're going to need that to the, and Missouri managed to throw, you know, some hardware into the gears in the first half of that game. But once LSU figured out that they didn't need to run middle ball screens and just started running action to get switches on the wings with Darius days going at people, it was over. So it, 
I'm not optimistic there. It seems like the best case is that this thing is, you know, scratch and claw on Thursday in the season, you know, with some respectable fight, and then you go into the off season. Anything after that is just found money for this roster at that point. So much of us just want to know what's going to happen with the head coach. Um, I, I'm of the belief at this point. So I think last pod or even probably the last two that we've talked about it. Uh, and I mentioned this kind of before we went on, but I felt really not a hundred percent sure, but pretty close that Conzo was not going to come back. So that was like, that's where I was a couple weeks ago. I still lean that way. Um, but I'm a lot less sure. Um, and obviously like it's difficult uh, because in a situation like this, the only people who really probably know at this point are Desiree Reed Francois and, and probably Munchoy. So outside of those two, um, there's there's nobody who knows for sure. I think there there are probably big money donors who want Conzo gone. There's big money donors who want to see him, you know, get another shot. Uh, and so essentially we're sort of in this middle ground where it's, it's going to come down to the people who are going to have to make the decision. Uh, and I know that like we keep sort of referring to the people, even though like, you know, Reed Francois is very clearly the athletic director, like people kind of know at this point that Munchoy is, is a meddler and why I'm still leaning that it's probably unlikely that Kansa comes back is because I just think Munchoy is probably going to meddle and, and whatever happened this year is not good enough for Mizzou. And, uh, and so he's going to get involved and, and make sure that the trigger gets pulled and, um, you know, and then we'll be looking for a new coach. Um, that's, that's at least kind of my take on it. Um, but, but like I said, I, a few weeks ago, I was probably at like 96 to 98% sure he was gone. Now I'm more at like 85, 90. I mean, hey, you offered a 2023 kid tonight. So you don't do that unless you're coming back, right? Right? Well, <laughs> you should still kind of keep doing your job until you don't have it anymore, I would think. I mean, that's what professionals would do. But <laughs> no, I, I there's... You know, I, I thought Dave Matter had an interesting sort of just comment, you know, when he did a chat last week, you know, saying that, that he had heard from, you know, probably from sources that there was some, you know, a segment of boosters that would like Zoe to return contingent upon there being staff changes. And you and I have talked about that um, as being one path they could go down, which is to sit down and say, we like you, we like you know, your general outlook on the program. We believe you can make it work here, but what we need to see, and, and you talked about like radical re-envisioning of what this program looks like. And I think if that starts with staff changes, that's the most obvious place to go. Now we could fall down a rabbit hole and talk about, you know, and we have talked about it before, you know, is someone going to, you know, our top flight staffers going to want to come here for a guy who's essentially on a, on a prove it year. Are they going to put the resources in play or are they available now to make those upgrades? Um, if you make those upgrades, are they going to have the time to have the desired effect, at least as we think it would relate to building a roster? I don't know. But if that's on the table, if that's being you know filtered out 
and, you know, Dave is picking that up, you know, you know, I, you know, obviously trust Dave and his credibility on this stuff. So if that's there, I'm curious how, how viable or how much traction that idea has. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm not talking to boosters every day, but if that's being out there, is that a palatable option? Or, you know, as, as, as you, as we've heard too, there's also money available if they wanted to make a change. So it, to me, it's really, it gets back to which factions here have the most sway, you know, we'll see. Um, but do you believe that, that you know, there's a, a, a path forward here? Um, you know, I've, I've written about it a couple of times. History suggests it's a really, really narrow one and a really, really rare thing to achieve. But, you know, what we're seeing is a lot of coaches across the country are getting that reprieve. Like Kevin Keats is getting one at NC State, you know. Um, Patrick Ewing got one, although there was like a secret contract extension he assigned last year that made that really hard. You know, Fred Hoiberg's getting one. Bobby Hurley is getting one. So the trend right now is for a lot of these ADs to sort of you know, keep their powder dry. Now you can make the argument that that's the time to move. Like if there are going to be comparable jobs or better jobs that are not coming open and you feel like there are candidates in the market that you're interested in now might be the time to make that move. But then you're getting into, so you know, the kind of game theory that's just pure speculation at this point, but the market right now has not like seemed to be rapidly filling with openings. So that's out there if you wanted to make a move maybe, but, it conversely it could work to where maybe Missouri's like those schools where it says, you know, we don't really want to come off a pandemic year, even if we got extra help from the SEC and use booster money this way. You know, we don't want to go in and try and do a buyout and do all this stuff so close to pandemic year. Let's do something more in the short term and just see how palatable Zoe is to a staff change. If Zoe says, you know, over my dead body, I'm not changing the staff. Then you make a move. That's, you know, I, I could see that playing out too. But, you know, I, I think to what we're saying here, I, I love watching basketball. You know, I, I've had fans on Twitter say, you know, I don't know how you and Sam keep watching this. As weird as it sounds, I learned something new. It's not, you know, earth shattering, but I learned something new every time I watch this team or I pick something else up or, Maybe it's something as simple as, oh, they changed this counter on this one set. They're trying this new thing. You always pick something up. But I think the one thing that's happened here, and you sort of mentioned is it's just all that's just kind of wiped out by the speculation and sort of waiting to see what's going to happen here. And really how much, you know, investment you should put in noticing those little changes when, you know, a week from now they may be irrelevant because the staff is gone and the roster's hollowing out. So I think that that's, what's made it hard here is how much, you know, you're going to watch and you're going to you know pay attention, note things, but how much should you really be engaged, you know, and, and think about how much that applies to the long term when, you know, three days from now, there could be a news release saying there's a job opening. So I think that's just where everybody is. It's where I'm at where I don't want to say the games aren't important, but I think the clarity, you know, would give us some context for what the results of the games meant at this point so th that's all i'm really hungry for is just knowing how much i should you know value what i'm seeing you know this week as it relates to what happens with this program moving forward well and i also you know like sort of piggybacking on your the, the concept of just basically enjoying watching basketball is 
I mean, the benefit of watching every Missouri game is you get to see who they play. Um, I mean, I, Matt, I know that you're similar to me and that you watch a lot of basketball and you watch a lot of other teams play. And, you know, but very rarely am I just sitting down and like watching Texas A&M for, uh, you know, for an entire game or, um, or even Auburn for an entire game. You know, those situations are rare. And so, you know, I watch, you know, Missouri for every game. And then I watch a lot of, of the other teams and the teams that they play um, frequently. But I, it's rare that I'm, it's, it's usually like, okay, like I'll watch five or 10 minutes of the Alabama game and then I'll flip over and I'll catch five or 10 minutes of the Kentucky game and I'll flip over and, uh, ooh, you know, Gonzaga's on and you know, they're uh they're destroying somebody. Let's 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 watch their offense. And um and so you know it's it's one of those things where when I watch Missouri, like I get to see what the other teams are doing. Um you know, like I, I can really sit there and and uh and I think that allows a, a level of perspective on on sort of where Missouri is and, and sort of where they also need to go, like how, you know, their talent level and the, the roster uh, composition compares to other teams in the league. I mean, obviously like you can just see the results and see that it's inadequate. Um, but, you know, like you can, you can realize that, okay, like a, a piece here, a spot there, and then, you know, a little infusion of talent here. And you, now you're going from like, you know, 11th to 7th. And I think like if we're talking about where we want to see Missouri long term, you know, because w- one of the things that I that I think is 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 lost here is, is regardless of what the administration decides. Whether to keep Conza Martin as the coach or to fire Conza Martin as the coach. the the overall goal is to make Missouri a successful program, but do we want Missouri to be successful next year or for like the next 10 years? And so I think like the decision to, to cut them loose or, or bring somebody back is not necessarily uh, against the goal of being good in the future. Uh, It's, it's very likely it's an assessment of, you know, what uh, their options are, um, what the pool is like, um, whether they're going to be able to make a significant upgrade. Um, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things that, like, we're, we're missing a little bit here is, you know, I know that there's a lot of fans who, you know, mentioned somebody like Sean Miller. Okay, if you really like the idea of Sean Miller, next year, we should know whether or not Sean Miller has a show cause. And if you are bringing back uh, Collins and Martin and things are not good again next year, well, now it's a lot more likely that, that you are in a more comfortable position to hire somebody like Sean Miller. Um, so that's one of the things that I think that we're, we're, when you're talking about the candidate pool, when you're talking about, uh, you know, what kind of job is Missouri? Who Who is the the coach that you're going to hire uh, if you decide to, uh, decide to move on from the guy that you have? And 
nobody should understand that better right now than Desiree uh, Reed Francois. Like she should have the her list of who she knows would take the job before they make the decision on on Martin. Because if you decide to make that decision, you better be able to get one of those guys. Um, and I think like that's one of the stumbling blocks that uh, that Stirk had when he fired Barry Odom. I think in uh, in past situations, Missouri uh, athletic directors hiring basketball coaches have have run into some stumbling blocks because this isn't 1999 anymore. Um, you know where. You have John Calipari, Bill Self, and Quinn Snyder interested in your job. Um, you're in a different league with much deeper resources, and you're competing uh, against some guys who have a lot, a lot of success. And so moving up is, is, is getting more and more difficult. And I think when you're considering all these things, like that also has to kind of go in. So yes, uh, I think the conversation is probably going to, you know, like if they decide they're like, all right, we think we can get like another year, two, three, whatever at a, at a Conzo and, and he can actually kind of get this back and going, but it, it, it is going to have to start with staff changes, but at the same time, like the AD has to have a really clear idea of what the pool looks like and, and who they're, they're going to actually be able to get, uh, you know, before they make that that ultimate decision, because I think like that's just as important. Uh, what, what, you know, when you're considering like this, you know, Conzo Martin status, and you, you just want to make sure that, like, even if Zoe has another rough year, um, the type of job that Missouri is doesn't change all that much. I mean, there's... as long as, as, long as you, as long as you're, as long as you're comfortable with your candidate pool, like, I think like that's that's what I'm basically getting down to say. The candidate pool, you know, uh, to me, granted, we're wonky and and navel gazing and all you know all of the adjectives for myopic and stuff. I, you know, we've you know we're doing I'm sure what a lot of other people write about the firm are doing you know backgrounding guys and you know going through, you know, film, doing whatever, watching guys. There, there are good coaches out there. Like, I, I do chuckle when people say, you know, I don't see, like, a rising star. I don't see a great coach out there. It's like, you're not watching the sport enough. You could put together a list of 30 coaches that that are all good, you know, from high major level down to probably low mid-major level. You can put that list together. I know because we've done it, and, you know, we've – We've probably watched 18 to 20 of these guys and, and, you know, you could have watched it tonight. If you wanted to watch Bob Ritchie at Furman, you could have watched earlier tonight when Dennis Gates, unfortunately, in Cleveland state got their hat handed to him by Wright state and another good coach and Scott Nagy who did good work at South Dakota state. There are good coaches out there. Um, and I think the clamoring for like a guy like Sean Miller to me sort of, I think doesn't illustrate a problem, but I think it illustrates sort of, I think the assumptions that fans make about that sort of hire. Sean Miller is a really good basketball coach. So what I'm going to say here is not to demean his ability in any way. But Sean Miller got his first head coaching job at Xavier and a job handed to him by Thad Mata, you know, who had had it, you know, from Skip Prosser. You know, that job was well built by the time 
Sean got it. He had one of the best pool of resources in the A-10. He was then hired at Arizona, which had like slipped to all of like 80th and Kempom after there were issues with Lute Olson, you know, in that transition there. But Arizona spends 10, 11, 12 million dollars a year on basketball. They have a top 15 budget. They're a blue blood. They have Nike with bag men running for them. He has been working at a job where the program was in exceptionally good health. It had top three resources in its conference. He has never been at a job like Missouri where Missouri's budget and its resources and its standing in the conference is lower third. We've never seen Sean Miller do a true blue rebuild. And the thing is, if you look and people will say, well, look at Kelvin Sampson, look at Rick Barnes. Yeah, look at them. Those coaches, one, they got raises out of there, but their budgets doubled or almost doubled in three or four years of being there. They got paid. Yeah, sure. That made up some of that money, but they got a lot of other resources on top of it. Those schools knew they were hiring final four level coaches and they jacked budgets up. They jacked assistant salaries up. They jacked recruiting budgets up. They did everything possible to say, we are going to give you comparable resources to the last place you had. But then you look at a guy like Ben Halland. Ben Halland arguably has one of the best resumes of the past 25 years before he get, gets to Mississippi State, gets to Starkville. What happens? Budget stays exactly the same. Tom Crean rebuilds Marquette, gets Indiana back on sound footing. Goes to Georgia. Guess what happens? Georgia keeps its budget the same. You know, Tom still manages to get a top 10 class and he screwed up himself and mismanaged that 2019 class. So it's again, not blameless, but there's something to the idea that if you get one of these coaches, you need to give them the thing that they had at their last stop. So again, it's going to sound like we keep coming back to money here. My point here is if you hire Sean Miller, are you going to give Sean Miller Arizona or Xavier level resources to go do the job? If you are, then I'm fine with that move. If you're going to Xavier level, you mean like by context and then like their means through the the league. Because yeah. They're, if they're going to be, they're if you're probably if you're, like on par with what Missouri. Right. They are. But if you're going to give, I'm saying if you're going to give Missouri a top five, six, you know, level funding for basketball, then let's go get Sean Miller. Like, let's go do yeah. it. Like, let's push the chips in and go do that move and, you know, bet it on the show cost there. It's not my, <laughs> my qualms here are not with that Sean Miller and cheating and whatever else. It's if you hire Sean Miller, you're going to give Sean Miller the, the resources to go do what Sean Miller needs to do and yeah. are comparable to what he's had before. So I think that's, that's really the thing here is, you know, people talk about, Oh, Greg Marshall, Greg Marshall had, a bigger hoops budget than Missouri at Marshall, or I mean at Wichita State. They outspent Missouri at Wichita State. He would be having less money if he came here. So that's the issue here is these names sound great. The the opportunity to hire Greg Marshall was like... A decade ago. Right around, I was going to say, right around the time that they hired Mike Anderson, probably. Yeah, that was the time to make that move. (laughs) Like Chris Mack's enjoying buyout life. Rick Pitino's already come out on Twitter and said, you know, I'm not taking, I'm not interested in the Maryland job and Maryland's a better job than Missouri. And he reportedly has a $5 million buyout. So if Missouri is Missouri paying, you know, is Missouri going to get $11 million together to go get a 70 year old coach? Who's going to be under the watch of the 
you know, NCA enforcement crew. Like, it's not that I have ethical qualms or I think, you know, I'm Missouri shouldn't get dirty or whatever. It's if you're going to hire these guys, you're going to give them what they need to go do what they do best. And, you know, if you look below that, you know, at guys who are at mid-major plus programs, you know, those guys are used to maximizing budgets. They're used to operating in those environments. Maybe those guys can come in here, but I think we have to have a realistic discussion about like what the candidate pool is going to look like here. And, you know, only, you know, the power brokers here, you know, maybe have done back channel vetting and stuff, know what that looks like. But I think there, there's a good pool here. It's just, and there are different options everywhere. It's just, what's, you know, what's Missouri's price point going to be here? You know, what kind of talent can they draw or what they're willing to spend? And is that, you know, something that's palatable to the administration? Uh, we don't know that, but that that's the sort of my lingering question here is, are they putting out feelers and sort of hearing back from people like, oh, no, no. And are they, as that, you know, chasing them at all? Or are they sort of going, oh, man, you know, if we can't make this move now, we'll just look at what we want to do with Zoe. I don't know. That's purely speculative on my part, but I'm just sort of curious if that's, if that's happened at all too. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of sort of, uh, you know, balls in the air on this. Um, you know, clearly, clearly, you know, I, I don't think there's any planet where, you know, the coaching staff and Collins Martin, like, thinks this was an adequate season. Um, you know, like, I think you can see some of the frustrations Zoe has even in press conferences. Um, you know, when I think the gambles that they made were clearly not paying off, and I, you can sense the, the frustration in that. Um, they're, they're, so, <laughs> realistically, by the time we podcast next week, um, we'll have an answer one way or the other. And we'll be talking about either what it's going to look like for Council Martin going forward uh, or what our candidate pool at Missouri is going to look like. Um, I know the candidate pool that, that you uh, and myself and, and our, our friend Matt uh, Watkins um, that we've built and we like, but... <laughs> Our taste may not like, be other people's taste. Yeah, and then like you hear you hear stuff like, okay, they're looking for somebody with power five experience, and I'm like, well, that you know, never... that's power five experience, Anza Martin. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be successful uh, having that experience, even if you had a successful experience at another stop. Like being successful at Missouri, I, I, I just I, like if if we're gonna go into the job market. I really want them to, to, to go hard after guys who are on the rise, not guys who have, you know, flamed out someplace else. <laughs> like, that's even like the funny thing to me about, uh, uh, you know, like the Ben Howland talk. Um, you know, there's a whole list of uh, Missouri fans who wanted Ben Howland, uh, I think instead of Commanderson. Um, I mean, that would not have been a poor choice. Obviously. Well, so over Kim Anderson, yes, you should have hired Ben Howland instead of Kim Anderson. With that said, like, like Ben Howland was not the answer then. Uh, he's not the answer now. 
Uh, he's gone to Mississippi, Mississippi State, and he's been fine. Um, but like, and that's one of the things. Like, that's sort of where Missouri is right now. Like, Missouri has put themselves into a spot where they're basically a Mississippi State. I think they're, uh, you know, the history and and maybe uh, fan support is is probably slightly better. Uh, history is is I I think uh, arguably better. Um, Mississippi State's got a Final Four, man. Hey, yeah, I mean. Rick Stansbury was doing some work there, and uh, was that like the late nineties? No, that was Tom. Or that was early that was Tom Williams who was the coach there. Stans was an assistant. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, he Tom Williams is guy. He like resigned. Like he got burnt out. Yep. Um, I forgot about that. Um, so anyway, basically, uh, yeah, and gonna reduce this all pretty quickly, but uh, it's. A lot's going to change, or nothing is going to change by the time we podcast next, and we're going to talk about what has changed. Um, that's a big sigh, Matt. We got a lot of candidate profiles we put together that could go up in smoke. But well, realistically, like ninety-five percent of the candidate pool smoke, will probably all be candidates next year. So um, just put them on ice the, and change know, the records. Yeah, like. Whether whether or not Missouri makes a move, and I still think they probably are going to make the move. Um, I'm just I'm really curious, like what their candidate pool is going to look like, and who are the names being floated out there. Uh, I know the, the guys that we've talked about that we like, and I'm skeptical that they would go after the guys that we like. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna end up with Brad Brownell. Power Five experience, baby. Well, Steve Forbes got re-upped, so um, take that name off the list. Um, my Power 5 candidate is one that no one will want here, so I'm just going to, he shall remain nameless. But you know who I, you know who my Power 5 a choice is, so if, if they had to make a move. But um, I'll save that for in case, you know, we have to cross that bridge and do an emergency pod. Yeah, uh... Yeah, so I think we're we're we've talked about it. Like we're if if they decide that they're gonna fire Conzo and the news comes out before, um, you know, we'll just hop on and, and do a quick react pod mm-hmm. uh, and kind of talk through our thoughts and 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 some of the candidates that we like. Uh, and then we'll just kinda of go from there and we'll see we'll see what they do. Um in the meantime, spring football is happening. You could uh, make sure that you are subscribed uh, to this here podcast stream and, and get all the spring football uh, updates from Nate and BK on Before the Box Score. They found a QB uh, yet? They found a new QB, another guy to put uh, in that room? Uh, not exactly. Um, it looks like it's going to be uh same guys. Tommy Locke, maybe. Um. So uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that helps us out. Also, w- what helps us out are good reviews. So uh, go ahead and, and, and submit a review. Uh, tell us what you think of our, our podcast and Nate and BK's podcast. Uh, and and some, we're working on some more podcasts that might be coming 
to the stream maybe over the summer uh it should be a uh it should be an interesting uh future for the rock nation podcast stream uh follow matt on twitter at matt j harris 85 you can follow me at sam t snelling uh all complaints go to levi and uh and and even though he does an awesome job of producing this this podcast uh if if there's anything that we did wrong um levi fields those complaints so we'll be back maybe next week uh maybe sooner (laughs) we'll see uh enjoy the sec tournament everybody enjoy championship week uh it is the best week of basketball there is uh socon already had a a great ending to their uh finale and uh looking forward to more so until next week we'll we'll talk to you then thanks for tuning in